The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox. In your headlines this hour, positive gains on Asian markets as U.S. futures suggest the rally will be extended. Futures trading higher off the back of the best week since November as a disappointing jobs report triggers hopes of a stimulus deal while President Biden tells CBS he'll take on China. And I'm not going to do it the way Trump did. We're going to focus on international rules of the road. New challenges for AstraZeneca. South Africa calls off vaccinations after a study shows the jab offers minimal protection against the fast-spreading local variant. Japanese chip giant Renesas confirms a $6 billion bid for Frankfurt-listed Dialog Semiconductor amid a deepening global supply squeeze. Mario Draghi secures conditional support for rival parties, with talks set to continue this week as the former ECB chief works to form a government. And a magnificent seven of 43 years old, Tom Brady raises another Super Bowl, leading Tampa Bay to victory over Kansas City in one of the biggest sports and advertising events of the year. So, very good morning, Karen. Good morning. Nice to be back. Yeah. Nice to be back in the studio. I see Steve gets the pleasure of the home office this morning. Was he snowed in down there, do you Was think? He? I don't think he... Well, we've had a dusting, haven't we? Mm, but it hasn't, it. Been, it hasn't been thick. It's very snowed. pretty. Yesterday was a little bit like Olaf uh, out of Frozen with flurries, yes. snow flurries everywhere. Very but that pretty. was about it. It wasn't like the other week we had those huge snowflakes. Yes, yeah. Very, very nice. Let, let's talk about SoftBank then. So, we've got some numbers through from SoftBank. This, of course, is the, um, uh, the, the big... Um, uh, a business in, uh, in Japan that invests in technology companies. Um, the group giving us a nine-month uh, profit here of 3.36 trillion yen. That's up 133%, the nine-month uh, net profit, um, group net profit, sorry, the pre-tax profit, 3.36 trillion yen. The net profit in at a little over 3 trillion yen. That's up uh, 541%. But you'll remember um, the numbers, in a sense, flattered to deceive, given that there was the big write-down in the previous numbers, uh, which is why the growth for these numbers looks so strong, up 541% here. Uh, the group says the Vision Fund unit, third quarter profit in at 844 uh, million yen. Again, the Vision Group business this division that invests in technology companies. Let's find you a few other figures. The uh, sales line in at 4.14 trillion. That is up 6.1% uh, for the nine months ended December 31st. The um, group uh, giving then a uh, basic earnings per share number at 1.5 uh, uh, trillion yen. Um, sorry, an earnings per share of 1.5 billion yen. The um, company, as we know, has been challenged, but they have been a massive beneficiary of the uh, 
growth bubble, effectively, that we're seeing in technology stocks at the moment. So the tech investment portfolio has delivered yet again here for SoftBank, perhaps reprieving to a certain extent Masayoshi-san's reputation, which we know has been incredibly damaged over the last two years. We've moved a long way from the depths of the pandemic that hit some of these stocks. And you think about one of the big ones in the basket, Uber. I mean, we saw during the the height of the crisis concerns about people taking those trips to to, to work and just around major cities. That all effectively uh, really came to a stall speed. And you saw a a pivot towards the delivery side of the business as people were stuck at home ordering deliveries. But Uber stock, you know, that's been benefiting from what you've seen in the big technology names reporting. That's been one stock that's bounced. That's helped SoftBank's fortunes. But also, so to think about DoorDash, which are listed too on uh, the exchange. So that was a big one for it in December. Um, just to give a few more lines here from the statement as they come through, the group uh, Fair Value Stakes enlisted tech companies $22 billion at the end of December. The uh, group says it held stakes in companies including TSMC and 4D Molecular Therapeutics. And I'll just take another run at the EPS number. Uh, I need to put my glasses on this morning. 1,572 yen on the earnings per share at a basic uh, uh, level. Karen, let me pass the baton to you. Yeah, big focus on that payrolls report that came through Friday's session. Uh, The US adding 49,000 jobs in the month of January, rebounding from a sharp decline in December, but missing estimates by a fraction. The unemployment rate fell to 6.3%, but the labour market's recovery from massive job losses at the outset of the pandemic slowed with almost 10 million Americans still out of work. And let's just take a look at that US market reaction we saw Friday's session as a result of the market are bouncing strongly. You can see a decent performance right across the board, particularly again for the Nasdaq at a fresh all-time intraday high, a record close as well, and records too for the S&P 500. So again, it was an, another peak period for some of these major indices that we witnessed. One of the big moving stocks, I thought it was quite telling. We had a week where we were again focusing on a lot of the tech earnings and uh, what we saw in session, Alphabet being one of the big drivers. So you had a big pop on the back of results. Investors still pushing that stock higher. Nike was one of the big movers for the likes of the Dow. But again, investors focused on the earnings. They're focused on stimulus talks that continue on Capitol Hill. And these are big drivers for the markets, along with hopes, again, when we talk about the United States market, the accelerated rollout of the vaccine. That's been very much a story that investors have also been playing. Let's switch across to the Asia market. Starting out the week on a trading high, we've had a little bit of a pop on some of these markets. You can see it on Japan as it trades around this 30-year high, uh, accelerating by more than 2%. Uh, Chinese stocks, stocks having a strong showing, 9-10% roughly the region. Hong Kong, a little bit behind, but uh, still up by about a third of the cent. Let's get into the oil trade. Uh, lots of reports over the weekend about hedge funds now turning bullish on the trade. And we certainly saw it in the activity over the course of last week. Uh, we traded up almost 9% on WTI price. And you can see uh, getting closer to uh, the 60 handle, but uh, very much in that range for Brent crude at this stage. Uh, much stronger signals we're witnessing this morning. And a little bit of focus on the geopolitics as Iran is talking about what it would do uh, to uh, get compliance with this uh, nuclear deal. And the Americans also hitting back about how they arrive at any form of an agreement, as we heard from Joe Biden yesterday. Let's push on to U.S. yields. Uh, we were watching the steepening of the yield curve last week, and uh, this is how we approached this morning. 1.18 on the U.S. 10-year. 
versus just 0.10 on the two-year. U.S. futures today, uh, this is how we're setting up for the start of the trading week and the start of the trading session after those records that we notched up on the S&P and the Nasdaq again. You can see we are chasing some positive signals at 139 points on Dow Jones futures at this early stage. President Biden called on lawmakers to back his proposed $1.9 trillion stimulus package, saying the latest non-farm payrolls show the economy remains in trouble. We don't have to wait until 2025 to get back to full employment, which will be the case if we don't do this. Again, independent analysis from places like Moody's on Wall Street, Brookings Institution, the American Rescue Plan could achieve that by the beginning, full employment, by the beginning of next year. Telling them we don't have the money to alleviate their suffering, to get to full employment sooner, to vaccinate America after $8 trillion in deficit spending over the past four years, much of it having gone to the wealthiest people in the country, is neither true nor necessary. Let's get to Michael Yoshikami, CEO and founder, Destination Wealth Management. Michael, nice to have you back on the channel. Uh, we saw Friday's session uh, pretty close on the non-farm payrolls number for, for January, but revisions weaker for the prior two months. What do you make of uh, the argument that presents for creating more uh, stimulus at this stage and uh, drivers for both the Democrats and Republicans to come together on the Hill? Well, I think there's a strong case to be made that more stimulus is needed. I think Janet Yellen actually said that full employment is a possibility next year if the full $1.9 trillion is funded. Uh, and if you just look at the jobs report, the jobs report really clearly shows that jobs are simply not being replaced. Uh, you have uh, a stimulus checks are coming, but that doesn't really replace employment, right? So in the end, uh, I think the need for stimulus is very, very clear here in the United States. Michael, we've seen some fresh records in recent sessions on the S&P and the Nasdaq. You know, coming up to this uh, latest earnings season, particularly on the tech names, some investors are saying this is just the last run high, the last bit that we can squeeze out of this rally. What do you think? Because it feels as though investors, again, repositioning around some very positive numbers, particularly from the likes of Alphabet. Well, I, I don't think tech is really on its last legs. I know some are saying it's rallied so much. How can it possibly rally farther? But just think about what's happening, Karen. If you think about how technology is re really reaching into other industries, that's also what's happening in Germany in terms of the slowdown or in terms of manufacturing just because chips are not available. So I think technology is going to continue to reach uh, across uh, a number of industries. That's why I think tech continues to be a driver of the market. I just wanted to, Michael, um, reflect on the comments from Larry Summers. I, I wonder if you've got a perspective on this. You know he's entered this debate about whether the stimulus is necessary. And uh, whilst we, we know him, him of late for his call on secular stagnation, this time round he seems to be suggesting that the $1.9 is unnecessary. Um, what do you think of Larry Summers' position at the moment on this additional stimulus? Well, I think it's surprising um, in that it certainly has changed from what he has been saying. But I will say this, that what really is the alternative? I mean, you're really either faced with stagnation and maybe high inflation down the road, or you're, or you're faced with very slow growth now with jobs not uh, simply being replaced. So I think it's kind of a worse, uh, uh, the best of, of two bad choices. Uh, and frankly, I think that um, the, the call about to be concerned about deficits, I think, is important. We should all keep that in mind. But right now, the house is on fire and needs to be put out from my perspective. 
Um, let me understand something, Michael. I'm, I'm very confused, and you and Jeffrey have got me confused already. Is it stimulus is needed to add to the margin account of retail investors buying GameStop, or is stimulus needed actually for the underlying economy? Because I think a lot of the money from stimulus, to my mind, seems to be going to be punted on the market. Well, I mean, first of all, GameStop has nothing to do with the stimulus plan. I know there's some narrative that this is just going to go towards buying uh, shorted stocks, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to be replacing lost paychecks. The GameStop phenomenon is kind of flaming out as we speak right now anyway. Um, so I, I really do think that this is money that is going to be inserted into the economy. And I think if if that money is is poured out fairly soon, I think it will have a significant effect. So I think it's not wasted money. I think it's money that's that's well needed uh, by the American consumer. Uh, I couldn't disagree with you more, Michael. Let's go for this as well. GameStop is a symbol of what is going on with people not knowing what to do with their stimulus checks, just like Bitcoin, just like bubbles in other stocks, just like punters playing the April expiry on the WTI last year, just like them buying call options on the US market. You've got a whole host of investors who have a whole host of money that they have because of stimulus, whether it's monetary or fiscal. And quite frankly, they're playing it on the market rather than doing other things. I, I, I cannot believe you don't believe that that's what they're doing with a lot of this money money. Well, I think that you have a small subset of people that might be doing that, but I think primarily most people are not taking their stimulus checks and going out and buying GameStop. I think primarily people are paying rent and buying food. That's what I think is happening. Um, are you going to have additional lubrication into the system that maybe is going to really cause people to have excesses? I suppose. But I think that's a small fraction of the money. I don't think you can make a direct relationship. And I've never seen evidence that there is a direct relationship between the stimulus check and what's happening with GameStop. I think I'm talking more generally about stimulus. As you know, as I mentioned uh, monetary there, Michael, as well, when you've got these special acquisition vehicles, SPACs as we're now reinventing them and calling them as well, where people are giving individuals with not necessarily a proven track record money to buy stuff that they don't know what they're going to buy, and these SPACs are going through the roof as well, do not have the slightest concern that there is something utterly bonkers going on in these markets. Uh, slightest concern. I do have some concern that there is something, as you put it, going bonkers in the market. I think the really prevalence of SPACs really does, I think, show in a lot of ways that there's plenty of money out there that is really looking um, for a home. But I think that it isn't necessarily as rampant as you're suggesting. I think there is some exuberance in the market right now, and I think that's something we have to watch for. Uh, SPACs certainly are, I think, a case, um, particularly when investors essentially investing blindly, hoping it works out. Uh, but again, I don't think it really is all about the stimulus plan. I, I think there's two separate issues. I think that there is some irrational exuberance in the market. And then I also think that the stimulus checks are needed by real Americans who are really suffering based on the pandemic. Michael, can I just wrap, wrap up by asking you, um, we've now, with the rally last week, taken back everything, I think, that was lost uh, at the end of January. So as we sit here at the moment, um, the question is what to do next. Uh, is there any reason in your mind to get more defensive at this stage? Yeah, I think there is. I think that despite the fact that I think you're going to see continued rotation into tech, I, I do think that um, it's time to really start looking at some dividend plays and getting a bit more conservative. You look at any valuation metric in the market, 
Um, as, as Jeffrey said, he thinks it's bonkers. I don't know if it's bonkers, but it's pretty highly valued. And when you have a high valuation, you have money being thrown at really everything. You've got to be a bit more defensive. Maybe pull some names into your portfolio that are paying dividends that have more conservative valuation uh, and take profit from the names that have rallied strongly. I don't think that's a bad move at all. Michael, it's always a pleasure. I've just realized it's still Sunday where you are in California, isn't it? But Michael, always a pleasure speaking to you. We, we do enjoy what you have to say. Michael Yoshikami, CEO and founder of Destination Wealth Management. Well, let us tell you what's coming up on this show. Mario Draghi's bid to lead a new Italian government continues as he attempts to find a majority in the country's splintered par- uh, parliament. Plus, for more on the US jobs numbers, as well as the proposed relief package, uh, check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner today. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Coming up to 20 minutes past the hour, welcome to Scorebox. Let's give you some uh, stories in the M&A world. Uh, Chipmaker Dialogue has confirmed it's in advanced talks with Japanese rival Renesas to sell the business. The deal could value the UK-based but German-listed Apple supplier at $6 billion. Uh, Renesas has until 7th of March to decide to make a firm offer or withdraw from negotiations. Renesas shares traded down in Tokyo on the news. French utility giant Veolia is launching a hostile takeover bid for all of Suez, bypassing the board of the waste and water management company. Suez has been fending off the unwelcome approaches for months now after Veolia bought a near 30% stake in October from another French company, Angie. Uh, Veolia announced the offer of 18 euros per Suez share on Sunday after a meeting between its CEO and Suez management yielded no results. Um, I know you want to know what the government has to say. Well, they said, which is the biggest shareholder in Angers, has been urging Veolia and Suez to find a friendly solution. Karen. We are going to move on to Italian politics as Mario Draghi took key steps on his path to becoming Italy's new prime minister over the weekend, securing conditional support from the populist five-star movement and right-wing Lager. Former coalition parties turned rivals Italia Viva and PD also gave the former ECB president their backing as well as ex-Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia. Let's get out to Claudia for more. Claudia, something strange seems to be going on in Italian politics. All these former foes now falling in line behind Mario Draghi. Does this mean that the parties are deciding it's politically unpalatable at this point or political suicide not to back the former ECB president? I mean, I think ultimately that is uh, the fact, um, Karen. It really does come down to 
uh, having to move forward. And really, there are no other options. And if you, you know if this is your last option, if Mario Draghi is your last last option, then it's probably one you really should uh, uh, take and accept. Now, what's interesting is how it happened. Uh, the idea was that, that during these consultations over the weekend, it would be a little more difficult, uh, or that we would get more of a reaction by the PD once uh, Salvini was on board, or uh, others making uh, more conditions. Uh, rather uh, different was what happened, because uh, they pretty quickly um, agreed to this uh, unity government, and it looks as though this is going to happen in just probably 48 hours or so, Mario Draghi will, in fact, in the end, uh, go to Mattarella to accept this mandate. Now, you know, it, it, unless something really uh, dramatic happens. Now, as you were saying, of course, the Lega, uh, the um, Five Star Movement being the two parties that were uh, the ones that seemed difficult to bring on board. In fact, the Lega was, uh, uh, you know, the, the one that we thought would get, you know, would, would have would drag its feet most to accept this government and the five-star movement looking like it was really in a difficult situation in terms of its unity within its own party just days ago really are all now on board. Uh, what matters now, of course, is how the markets have reacted. We did get a positive reaction from equity markets. We did see the spread go to five-year lows here in Italy. So that's another important point. Once the political part is passed is how is this perceived? So a Mario Draghi government is perceived as the right government. It's perceived as the right leadership for Italy. Uh, so really, this bodes well for what the next steps are, which are, of course, the recovery plan and structural reforms that Draghi needs to put into place. And that's the issue, Claudia, because it seems to me, you know, when you elect a government, you elect it on the basis of a policy platform that is clear and has been laid out before you. We really don't know at this stage what policy platform Mario Draghi is going to pursue, do we? Unless he's spelled it out more clearly in the Italian newspapers, I don't see anything at this stage that gives us a very clear idea as to whether he's going to raise more taxes, whether he's ultimately going to seek to raise more debt, what actually his near-term and medium-term objectives are at this stage. Does, does anybody have a real sense of what Mario Draghi will do once he gets into power? Well, no, they don't, which is why, you know, the idea was that there was going to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a more of a complicated process to getting the support of these uh, different parties. But it looks as though what really is prevailing is the need for Italy to move forward. Remember, uh, an 8.9% drop in GDP in 2020. The Italian economy is certainly the one that's having the hardest time in Italy. The pandemic situation is really weighing on Italians, on the economy, as well as on the Italians in, in, in general and how they are feeling. Um, you know, 71% of uh, uh, people polled are, are in support of this uh, government, so of Mario Draghi government. So this tells you that they feel, though, as though he is the right person to give this uh, this job to. So even though we don't know what kind of policies he will put forward, and of course there will be uh, situations in which these parties are going to have issues. It's not going to be uh, a really smooth ride for sure, you know, once these uh, policies, policies are actually outlined. But chances are that anything that is going to help Italy develop and grow and move forward without really, um, you know, having uh, too extreme of policies that really go and hurt either one party or the other in terms of their views, uh, then, uh, you know, that will probably be accepted. And that's what, uh, you know, these parties are probably thinking that Mario Draghi is going to lay out. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.